We are continuing our sermon series called Home. In fact, this is the wrap-up of that sermon series. I was waiting to see if there's, yay! No. <laughs> yeah, wait till you see the next one. No. Uh, home is all about how we turn our homes into discipleship centers for our families, for the next generation, and for us. So if you missed it last week, there are home point survey packets over on the table there. You can pick one up. It starts with an assessment, and you can work through the assessment and then determine where do you need to work on you or your family or in your relationships. And as you get that information, then there's all kinds of other information available that you can pick up. Anything, as you go through the double doors and again through the double doors, there's a whole wall of stuff. It is free for the taking. And then we are working to get all of that onto digital, onto our website, our new website, I should say. So that'll be coming very soon. And if you have any questions about that or if you have any um, things that you're not seeing that you would like, let us know and we'll get you pointed in the right way. We have talked about a love that never dies. We've talked about into the light. We've talked about the mission of submission. And if you would like to follow up with those, you can find those at wordserve.org slash sermons. And you can always uh, search. This is a cool feature. You can go to that site and search Bible verses, keywords, titles, anything that you want. And you can go back and listen or watch uh, the sermons. So how cool is that? Again, new website is awesome. But today we are talking about honor, where honor is due. And no, it's not 917. I gave this sermon two days ago. Where were you? No, okay. <laughs> Just kidding. That's a fat finger typo there on my part. But so today we are talking about where honor is due, and we will be playing this game out of Ephesians 6. If you would like to turn your Bibles and or devices to get ready for that, Ephesians 6, 1 through 4 is our goal. As we jump into that, I want to start with a very basic question, and it's a very basic question, but it's uh, one that I, I bet you've heard before. And here it is. Is it worth it? Is it worth this Jesus stuff? Is church worth it for your family? Because here's what I see, and here's what I've lived when my kids were little. It's like, man, I am so stretched thin. I am worn out, and you're asking me to come to church or Sunday school or community group. One more thing on my calendar where I have no room left. Is it worth it? Well, today we're going to talk about if it's worth it or not. Because as I hear families and as I look back on my own experience when I had little ones, I, I basically would be that guy that says, I got nothing left. I got no time. I got no energy. I've got nothing left for you. But today, I'm, I want to speak a little truth. And it's in love. I want you to know that my motive is love. But here's my supposition. If we cut Jesus out, then we truly will have nothing left. That's the premise I want to operate on today. If we cut Jesus out, if we don't make time for him, then truly we will have nothing left. And the next generation may well be lost. Faith is not something that you inherit. Faith is something that you develop. And that's how we, we have to approach today. So I want to share with you in the process of this sermon my greatest fear and my greatest hope. Because where God is involved, there is always, always hope. As we look at Ephesians 6, 1 through 4, we'll toss it up on the screen. And this is one that uh, 
every parent is going to nudge their kids on, right? There it is. It's already happening. <laughs> so let me read Ephesians 6, 1 through 4, and you can follow along at home or on your devices or your Bibles or your brand new third grade Bibles. Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Honor your father and mother, which is the first commandment with a promise, so that it may go well with you and that you may enjoy long life on earth. Fathers, do not exasperate your children. Instead, bring them up in the training and instruction of the Lord. These are the words of God, and they are for the people of God, and for these words we are grateful. This is a little bit different than the, the words that we heard last week because here we're hearing a very direct command to obey. Now, last week we talked about submission. Submission is not the same as obey. There are two different words in the Greek. Submission is to willingly put yourself under the authority of someone. Obey means exactly what you think. No fooling around. <laughs> do what I say. So let me rephrase this. Kids, do what your parents say. It's not an option. Now, that's assumed that you have good parents. And as I look around the room, you do. Trust me. All right? But it's hard pill to swallow. I know when I was a kid, I was like, eh, my parents are so dumb. They don't know anything. And you're probably thinking the same thing because I know that you know, if you invite me to one of your video games, I will look like a complete idiot. I guarantee you. I know nothing about it. I don't know how to operate it. I don't know how it works. So I must be dumb. On the other hand... I've got a few more trips around the sun, and I have some life experience, as do your parents. I've seen things in the world that mm, I don't want you to see, and I can tell you how to avoid them, and so can your parents. So that's one great reason, kids, to listen to your parents. They have life experience. They have knowledge that is based on principles. What do I mean by principles? I mean, okay, the, the latest version of Fortnite is a temporary thing. It's a fad. It's going to come and go. But a principle is how do you interact with others? And, and more importantly, how do we as Jesus followers interact with others? Because that's kind of what we're called to do. As we look at this verse, I want to highlight just a couple of things. This obey we already talked about briefly is a different word. It does mean to follow directly. Now, that's the kids part, obey. But parents... Look, you got to be worth following. you got to be true to God's word to have any kind of authority or credibility when you're telling your kids how to live. Because ultimately, it's not me telling us how to live as a parent. It's me sharing how God wants them to live. That's also a, a great bypass. If they disagree with you, then they're disagreeing with God. Just throw that out there and see how that works for you, right? <laughs> not, let's not go doom and gloom, all right? But seriously... Who knows better how this life is supposed to operate than the one who created it, right? He's got the main owner's manual. He's got the owner's manual that we don't bother to read all the time, and he knows how to live it. He sent his son to show us how to live it, in fact. So don't uh, discount that. Now, here's another interesting thing about this. It, it says that this is the first commandment with the promise. If you look at this thing called the Ten Commandments, you may have heard about it. It's kind of a big deal, right? God gave Ten Commandments to Moses. And the first four talk about the relationship this way. It's all about us and God. But the very first commandment that talks about how we relate to other people is this one. This is a quotation from the Ten Commandments. Honor your father and mother. And then look at this. That it may go well with you and you may enjoy a long life on earth. It's the first and only commandment with a promise. 
Think about that. It doesn't say, love the Lord God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength so that it may go well with you and you have a long life. It doesn't say, do not covet what your neighbor has so that it may go well with you and you may have a long life on earth. The only one that carries a promise is to honor your father and mother so that it may go well with you and you have a long life. Now, why is that? For all the reasons I just said. They are the representatives of Christ in your home, hopefully. They've lived life. They've made mistakes so that you don't have to. And where you make mistakes, if we are living out Christian parenting, we will show the way of grace, the way of recovery. How do you fall and get back up again? How do you keep going when it looks hopeless? How do you keep your head up when the world around you is crushing you? This is what experience in Christ will do for us. So that's why this, I think, is, is the, the number one, uh, the only one, I should say, that has the promise. Honor your father and mother. What does the word honor mean? In the literal form of the Greek, it means heaviness, weight. So maybe a way to put it in the common vernacular is give weight to what your parents say. Make it important. Make it something that grounds you that holds you in place when life buffets you. So honor is gravity. It, it's important. Now, the other thing uh, that I should point out here, um, down at the bottom, you see, fathers do not exasperate your children, but instead bring them up in the training and instruction of the Lord. What's the context there, and why does it say that? Two things. Back in Paul's time, the fathers were held responsible for the raising of their children in terms of how they interacted and, and how they developed and how they conducted themselves in public. So that's why it says fathers. Nowadays, it's everybody, right? And, and it was then too, if we're real, right? So everybody. Don't exasperate your children. What's that about? The common thing to do in the time was to, uh, there's two things happening here. So one is your family name. Because how your kids act is a reflection on your family name. If your kid's a buffoon, your family must be full of buffoonery. <laughs> buffoonery central, right? If your kid acts honorably and is a, a good citizen and contributes something to the world, then your family must be a good family. So it was a direct reflection on the family. Now, the way that they ensured that, fathers back in the day, was often through beating. And I'm not talking like a little pat on the backside. I'm talking about pummeling. If anybody's a, a Knight's Tale fan, fonging. I will fong you. No, no Knight's Tales fan? Okay, you got to go watch the movie. All right. Lots of pain. All right, so Paul is calling them to something different. He's calling them not to just, or not to punish, rather, but to actually train. And that's the mindset that I want to shift for us this morning. It's not just about punishing kids. In fact, it's not about punishing kids. It's about training kids, and there's a huge difference. What is the difference? Well, I've got a chart. I hope you can see that in the back. If not, we'll walk through it bit by bit. But this is the difference between punishment and discipline. And we're going to look at four main areas. Let's start, let's start with the first one is the purpose. The purpose of punishment is to inflict penalty for an offense. You did wrong, I'm going to cause you pain. <laughs> back in Paul's day, literally, right? The, the difference between that and discipline, the purpose of discipline is to train for correction and maturity. So think about what that means. You're not just thinking about this thing that they did. You're thinking about how do I 
teach them in this moment? How can I turn this terrible thing that's happened or this outburst that has happened into a, a, a learning opportunity? I'll give you an example later. What's the focus of punishment? Well, the focus of punishment is the past, what you did, how you misbehaved. The, the focus of discipline is a future appropriate behavior. So again, I'm taking what happened. I'm saying, how can I make sure that they learn why this is not good and change that behavior in the future? That's a very valuable thing for a parent and a kid, by the way. What's the attitude behind punishment? It's hostility and frustration most often from the parent. How many of you have lashed out in the moment and later thought, <laughs> I blew it? Right? Yeah. <laughs> Me too. Me too. And sometimes we do some damage in that process. Not intentionally, but let's give ourselves a little grace. Parenting is not for sissies. Am I right? It's hard. I know. I, I, I remember. Grandparenting is way better. Hang in there. Right? <laughs> but hostility and frustration from the parent. Now, in discipline, the attitude of the parent is love and concern from the parent. And the, the, the child can even feel that while being disciplined. Think about that for a second. You can discipline and show love at the same time, and your children will understand this eventually. What's the resulting emotion from the child in punishment? Well, basically fear or guilt or both. They're afraid of you. I love my parents. I was afraid of my dad. I love my mom because she was the one that kissed and made it feel better. But dad, wait till dad gets home. Anybody ever heard that one? I never heard that. My brothers heard that, but I never heard that. Uh, but, but yeah, that was, that was kind of his, uh, his M.O. It was like, oh, yeah, you, you will fall in line, and uh, we'll make this happen. <laughs> it's like, that only took about twice and, or four times. Uh, anyway, uh, it didn't take long, and then I caught on that, that you didn't want to mess with Dad. But th my sense was not out of, oh, there's a better way to live. My sense was, I don't want to get in trouble. But in discipline... The resulting emotion from your child, get this, security. How is this possible? Let me give you a quick example. You're walking up, your little one is uh, just, you know, this tall. Let's call however, however old that is. And they're holding your hand, and you're walking up to the street, and they start to run out into the street. And there's two ways that you can handle this. You can punish them, or you can discipline. Punishment looks like, whack, you're so stupid. Didn't you see that car coming? Because it's all about me. I don't, want to, I don't want you to cause me any trouble. I don't, want you to, I don't want to have to go to the ER. I don't want to have to deal with all that stuff. You're an idiot. How does your child feel? Fear and guilt? So far, so good. Or there's another way to do it. There's discipline. As that child begins to run out, you go, oh, no, 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 wait, come back. And you get down on their level, and you say, listen. I need you to look both ways, and I need you to hold my hand because these cars, they won't be able to see you. And if they can't see you, you might get hurt. And if you got hurt, that would make me very sad because I want to spend a lifetime with you. So let's make sure that you hold my hand next time and, and we look out for each other, okay? You see the difference? Discipline, but they feel secure. They feel loved. You could probably think of a million examples uh, especially having fresh off of homecoming, <laughs> where maybe punishment versus discipline <laughs> needs to take place, right? So discipline is a far better way, and discipline is what the Bible talks about. It says that God disciplines those he loves. It doesn't say God punishes those he loves. As you look at this graph, 
Does that give you a new insight on how God loves us? He's not going to let it go. He's going to call it out. But he's going to call it out in a way that affects our future behavior, that grows us into the maturity of Christ, not just to flame us. That's a God who loves. And in that God, I, as his child, will feel secure. So this is a great model for parenting, and it's demonstrated by God himself. As we, as we continue on here, uh, we talked a little bit about the, uh, why we should honor, but I want to talk for just a second why we should train. Because if, as I said this morning, uh, you should follow the Lord in all that you do to these third graders, how are they ever going to learn to hear that voice? If you're on a sports team and your coach yells from the sideline, not that coaches do this, but let's just say a coach might yell from the sideline, and you've never heard the coach's voice before, when you're out in the game, it's just going to be wah, 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 wah. But if you've ever had a coach that offered instruction from the sideline uh, frequently and loudly, you knew, right? when it had, You could hear the whole crowd, but when that voice started, you knew it instantly who it was, and you knew I better listen because there's some wisdom coming from that coach. And oh, by the way, if I don't listen, I'm probably going to sit on the bench. But that's another story, right? So how will they know? How will our kids know to follow Christ's voice if we don't model that with them? If we don't help them understand how we hear Christ's voice? If we don't read scripture, explain scripture, work in prayer, in meditation, in contemplation, all the spiritual disciplines. If we're not doing that in the home, how will they know which voice to listen to? That's training. Now... Not every training session is going to go perfect. Not every practice on the field goes perfect. Not every game is won. But it's not about winning the game. It's about winning the whole season. And the whole season is a lifetime. So if you are in that process where you feel like you're suffering some losses, don't quit. There's hope. Where Christ is involved, there's always hope. Don't give up. This is too important whether you're a parent or whether you have the opportunity to be a parent role to someone, whether you're a grandparent or a good friend, you get the idea. The older generation, we have something to offer to the younger. And as you change in that process, you always have something to offer. It goes both ways because it's not always about age, is it? It's about our age and faith. Some of us are baby Christians, even though we're a little uh, more trips around the sun. There's something to be learned either way. So here's why we do this. I want to talk about guardrails for a second. When we put rules in place, when we put boundaries in place, it's so that we stay on the road because off-road is kind of rough. And so we get rules just like the Ten Commandments. It's also, though, about life preservers because occasionally we're human and we'll get over that guardrail or the guardrail will fail us at some point and we end up in the water. And so if we're in the water, we have to be able to stay afloat. And so sometimes it's not just following the rules. It's what happens when you don't follow the rules and you're in over your head. Is there something that will sustain you in that process? Now, you can get this from anywhere. The world teaches this. Let's go back to the sports example for just a second. Are there rules in sports that you're taught to follow? Yeah. Okay, so, and some of those involve sportsmanship. If you have a good coach, they'll talk about not just the game, but how you conduct yourself. Good guardrails. There's also life preservers in the secular world. 
some of it's just you know good friends. Uh, on a on a more severe level, there's therapists, there's counselors, there's all those kinds of things that will help keep you afloat. So you don't really need this. You know, we were asking, is it worth it earlier? Well, no. Save yourself some time. You can get all this in the secular world, right? You know, there's more. Here's the one thing that is different. Here's the one thing that makes it all worthwhile. Here's the one thing that separates us from any other situation in the world. When we're trying to find the way, how do we find our way home? Jesus himself says this, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. And just like a lighthouse that brings us safely home, so is Christ in our lives. This is the one thing that no one else can offer, that no one else has an answer for. Because if the guardrails fail us, and they will, and we get off in the water, here's my two greatest fears. My greatest fear is that we teach our kids a bunch of rules, and they live under the heaviness and weight of that. And when they break it, they experience guilt and shame and fear, because that's what rules do. This is Jesus' biggest problem with the Pharisees, is it not? There's a, whole, there's a whole sermon series on that. That's one great fear is that our kids are just burdened with rules and they feel guilty when they can't keep them because, let's face it, we're human. Here's the second greatest fear. If they do break the rules and they find themselves bobbing in the water, how will they find their way home? The secular world doesn't offer any help here, not any real help. And just like Paul talks about elsewhere, they'll be tossed about in the ways, influenced by every new wave of doctrine, Influenced by people who are so clever that they'll make the lie sound like the truth. And they'll never grow to the full measure of Christ. They'll never find their way home. There's only one thing that will help us and our kids find the way home. So that we're not burdened in this little bit of rule thing. And we're not endlessly bobbing, being tossed and forth by a culture who tells us lies but makes it sound like truth. There's one thing. That makes the difference. And it's this lighthouse. This is what brings us safely home. So if you're asking, is it worth it? Here's a twist for you. When God told Jesus the mission, and Jesus was in the Garden of Gethsemane, he says, Father, if there's any way that this cup can pass from me. And Jesus decided, we are worth it. And when he went to the cross, he left a beacon behind. This is not a temporary thing. This is something that will last forever. It always points the way home for eternity. Jesus thought we were worth it. So when we ask ourselves, is it worth it? Is it worth bringing our kids? Is it worth studying scripture? Is it worth being part of a community group? Yes. A thousand times. Yes. The disciples were talking to Jesus at one point. Many of Jesus' followers, you can read this in John chapter 6. Jesus' followers came to a point where they recognized that they didn't really want to follow Jesus anymore because his teaching seemed a little off of what they wanted. They wanted the show. They wanted the miracles. They wanted the provision, but they didn't want to follow this lifestyle of self-sacrifice. And so get this. You'll always remember this verse. John 6 66, and many ceased to follow Jesus. Isn't that ironic? 666. 
And so Jesus comes to his disciples and says, oh, all these people are leaving because I'm telling the truth. I'm speaking it in love, but they're leaving. Do you too want to leave me? And Peter answers him and he says, where else would we go? Who else has the words of eternal life? In other words, who else is the lighthouse that will forever show us the way home? Answer, no one. Only Christ and Christ alone. Is it worth it? Yes, a thousand times yes. So if you're contemplating how to work out your schedule so you can work Jesus into your life, let me speak truth and love. I'm not going to ask you to do one more thing. I know your schedules are full, so I'm not going to ask you to do one more thing because that would be too easy. I'm going to ask you something way harder. Do something less. Do something less in the world so that you can make time to spend with Christ, so that your home can be a place of discipleship, so that your kids will know and recognize the lighthouse that will always help us find our way home. Do something less. Because where else will we go? And who else will show us the way home when we're lost? Christ and Christ alone. It's worth it. Will you pray with me, please? God, we're so grateful for Jesus Christ and the example that he gives us. As he came down into this world of darkness, he recognized that it would be a terrible place to live, a terrible death, and much frustration. My God, he did it anyway, and he did it willingly because he thought we were worth it. God, this morning, as we attempt to deal with this world around us, as we attempt to raise children in this environment, I pray that you would help us to recognize that you alone are worth it. And where we spend our time, where we invest our time, let us do that in a place where honor is due, where weight should be given because of the sacrifice that you've made. God, help us to recognize that there is power when Christ is in the home. Help us to recognize where you're at work disciplining us and help us to model that with everyone that we meet. God, I pray that for everyone here, whatever we're dealing with, that we'll recognize that while it might be overwhelming to us, it's not overwhelming to you as we partner with you. It's not overwhelming to a body of Christ, of a people called WordServe as we come together and support one another. And there's nothing that you can't overcome, not the power of sin, not even the power of death. Thank you for that gift. Thank you for that example. And by your spirit, help us to live fully into that. I pray this. In Jesus' name, amen.